Good morning, everybody. I will tell you, it's good to see you. Even those that I can't see, it's good to see you. You know what exactly means. But it's good to be with you here. I've missed this little exchange of being with you and opening up the book of God's Word. And so I hope you do that here pretty quick. We're going to hand out Bibles. If you need a Bible uh, here in the, in the sanctuary area, in the worship space area of the ark, uh, raise your hands. They'll bring one to you. If you're in the sanctuary, there's one there in the pew in front of you at True Worth. We know you have Bibles scattered out there. If you're at home or you're in the hospital, you're traveling. We know you have the word somehow in your presence too. So you want to find it, you want to find the book of Colossians. We'll go there in just a moment. We're going to go to the book of Colossians. But first I want to say, I want to say a big thank you and shout out uh, to this great uh, teaching team that I get to be a part of because I tell you what, Chris and Cheyenne, Share Secrets of the Guest, they just did a fabulous job. Can, can we give a, a celebration of God again? They're just all the greatness. There are just so many great things happening in this church. And some of the leaders that are growing and developing, even right now this weekend while we're here in worship, we have a team in Nicaragua. Uh, that are visiting some of our mission sites there and doing some work there. You can't see them, but they're there. There are so many things going on that you just don't even see. You can't see it, but even right now, there are people getting ready uh, for the preparation for family camp, I mean, for Pine Cove camp that's coming up here a week from Sunday. Uh, and in fact, on Monday morning after this, there'll be kids, so many kids throughout this church. I'm thinking about not even coming. Uh, because it's just going to be so many of them, I and mean, they're going to be everywhere. And there's so many adults getting ready for that. I mean, things you can't see that are going on. Uh, so many things. I mean, like, like this morning, so, a special moment's going to happen. Something's going to go right over your head. Last Sunday night, Chris Bohan was ordained into the gospel ministry. I mean, he is a fully-fledged ordained minister. And here in a little while, he's going to, for the first time, preside at the table over the sacraments and I mean, for some of you, it's going to go right up, but there's so much going on behind the scenes. And in fact, while, while you were, were doing all this worship stuff for the past five or six weeks, I've been doing some stuff that you couldn't see. But I will tell you, I've been doing a lot of working, a lot of praying, a lot of planning. And so I, I need your help on something because we believe getting ready for something in the fall, some, God is preparing us to take a next step toward the grander vision of what we call Pathway Church. And so in a couple of weeks, I'm going to ask you in worship to take a short little survey to kind of, kind of give a little feedback on where you kind of think we are, kind of your response to some things on some new things that we think God is doing that some next steps can be taken. So you can be expecting that. And so there's, there's, there's a lot happening in the life of your church, including, and most importantly, uh, there are some people here who just moved into the area. They don't know where to buy groceries. They don't know where to get their hair done. They don't know where to work out. They don't know where to do anything. And they come here to this church, and they don't know to stand up or sit down or where the bathrooms are. They don't know anything. And they don't know you. I want you to remember a time in your life where you were somewhere and you didn't know anybody. And how it felt for someone to speak to you. So I'm just going to challenge you, church. I'm just going to challenge you. Do not get so caught up in you. They don't, you, you don't look for people and just say hello to folks that perhaps you don't know because you never can tell. They may be, you may be the only Christ they experience uh, because you spoke to them. So there's so much going on, but the eyes can't see. Um, so let's, let's go here. Let's go here. This summer, we're going to be walking through the book of Colossians. And we're titling this whole series, uh, Rethink really. Subtitle, Rethink. 
and we're going to ask you to rethink a little bit how you even read the Bible. I'm going to challenge you. Rethink how you think about the Bible. To rethink particularly this little book called Colossians. It's four chapters. Before this, this summer's over, your Bible's just going to naturally fall open to this book. In fact, this week, if you notice on the back of your message notes, your life steps, I'm going to ask you to read the whole book over the course of this week, kind of broken out in chunks. This is your life steps. Some of you, this is your message notes. You don't have enough room to take notes this morning. I promise you, if you're really a note taker, on the back of your worship guide, there's a place for extra notes. Because we're going to take kind of a high-level view of this book, but we're going to do some seminary stuff this summer. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. During the course of the summer, we know the serious people will show up. You really kind of want to learn, and so we're going to stretch your mind. You're going to learn some language, some, some ideas and things you've not thought of before, and it's going to be a challenge. It really is, but we're going to grow. We're going to try to grow. So we're going to take this morning a 30,000-look view of the book as a whole, the culture, the history, and which, how this book was written, and I want you to grasp the big idea. The big idea. In every society over a course of time in history, nations and organizations are held together by a big idea. This is true of your family. This is true of a school you go to. This is true even if you're a part of a dysfunctional family. That often there is a big idea that everybody just thinks, well, that is true. That is right. And you just assume that it's true. And it holds and shapes everything together. Now, this is true throughout history over any organization, what large or small. I'm going to give you an example of a big idea so you kind of get a feel of what, what, what I'm talking about here. From 500-year period in the history of Europe, this was the big idea that shaped it. The divine right of kings. I'll repeat that. The divine right of kings. Now, this is what this means. The divine right of kings. It means if you were king, every word that came out of your mouth was law. If you were king and you asked for something, you got it immediately. Because it was assumed that God put you on the throne. If someone opposed you, your king, they're opposing God. If someone is obeying you, your king, they're obeying God. Because it's believed that you are doing the will of God. Whatever you do, it's God's will. Even the church in that 500-year period, the church submitted itself to the will of the king. Now, I want you to think about that, that circumstance for a moment. And the courage that it would take to be one person who would say, no, that, that big idea is wrong, and you would try, I'm going to teach you a word, some of you, I'm going to teach you a brand new word, and you would try to subvert it. Now, I'm stretching your mind here. There's a little mind stretcher. Subvert. What does subvert mean? The word subvert comes from two Latin words. Sub, which means below. Submarine, below. And vert, which means to turn, to turn something. 
So subvert literally means from below, inside the big idea, one little person trying to turn, turn the whole life to a different direction. So 500 years, 500 years, big idea. The king is divine. Then a man, a pastor named Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish pastor, writes a book in Latin, and the title of the book is Lex Rex. In Latin, Lex Rex means the law is king. The law is king. Not the king is law, the law is king. This book was subversive. This little statement, this is what he was saying. Kings, you think you're above the law. No. You are subject to the law. And if you misbehave, the law will hold you accountable. Now, man, this was treasonous. And so Samuel Rutherford, he gets thrown in prison Instantly, his book is thrown out in the streets of Britain. It's part of the last book burnings of Oxford. And he's, take, he's going to be taken to trial, and he dies to die before the trial. And it makes no difference because if he had been tried, 30-minute trial, and he had been executed. One man stood against the big idea. Against all, and, and it shook, shook the kingdom, so shook it. It laid the foundations for what you and I know today in Europe of democracy and actually the democracy you and I experience today in the United States of America because one person said that big idea is not right. The book of Colossians is like Lex Rex. It's subversive in going against the big idea of its culture. Now, stay with me here. Stay with me here. I know for some of you are going, this is kind of seminary-level stuff here. Here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to teach you. We're going to go back in time in history, first century, the time of Jesus, the time of the, the birth of the church, and I'm going to use ancient coins to help you understand the big idea that was going on back then that this book of Colossians is written in. Now, next week, we're going to start doing verse by verse by verse by verse by verse by verse and walk away. But today, we're taking kind of a high, big look. So here's the first coin I want you to see, going back in history this time. Put the, this is the coin of Julius Caesar. He was the great celebrated emperor of the Roman Empire. And in 44 B.C., before Christ, he is murdered in the Senate. This is the end of the Roman Republic, and everything is changing. And when he is murdered, there is chaos in Rome. I mean chaos. There is terrorism in Rome. The economy collapses. There's skirmishes in the street, people protesting, everybody upset, turning cars over like they won the hockey match or whatever you know what I'm talking about. All this little stuff in the streets, and there's tribal warfare going on. Chaos. And the people are going, hey, what's going on here? It was so stable, and now it's falling apart. Where can we find peace? Where can we finally get a job and find economic prosperity? And here's what happens. The leading general under Julius Caesar, 
His name was Octavian or Octavius. He goes and finds the guys that took out and killed Caesar, and they elevate him to emperor in 27 B.C., and they give him the name Augustus, Caesar Augustus. Now, two critical things happen right now, two critical things. The first is Augustus or Octavius, he was not true son of Julius. He was only a nephew. So they said, you are now the adopted son of Julius Caesar so that you can have the reign of the king. You can truly be king. Here's the second, even more important thing that happened. Rumor and word went around that when Julius Caesar died, there was a comet that came out of the earth into the sky and became a star. And that star was bright. And that star was a sign of Julius Caesar ascending into the heavens, becoming a god himself. That meant that Augustus was the son of a god, the son of God. Now, keep going with me on these coins here. I want to kind of stay with me on this thought. So, next coin here. Can you show me the next coin? On the right-hand side of this coin, you have Augustus over here on the left. That's Augustus. And on this coin, in Latin, Divus Julius, which means the divine Julius or Caesar. Julius Caesar was divine. Then it has the star that shone in the sky that showed that he actually became a god. Show the next coin, please. This is another coin, men in the time of Augustus. Right, this is Augustus, and it had right there D-I-V-I, that's divine. That F stands for Philius, which means son. That Caesar Augustus is the divine son of God. So what's the big idea of the Roman Empire in your message notes? That the emperor, the Roman emperor is an agent of God. So let's say I'm the Roman emperor. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Hey, I I do not function as a human being. I function on behalf of God because Rome is God's nation. Rome exists because the power of God brought it into existence. That means myself, Augustus, the son of Julius Caesar, I am the son of God. I am doing God's work. I and Rome have spiritual authority over you. That means you have to give me your complete undiluted devotion. Now, every emperor after Augustus continues the strain of that big idea saying, I expect you to give me your full devotion. Here's some more coins. Show the next coin, please. Tiberius follows Augustus. You see the little T, here's his coin. And this little T-I right there, that stands for Tiberius. On the D-V, D-I-V-I, on the opposite, that's divine. In the middle of Caesar, Caesar, Tiberius, the divine Caesar. Show me the next coin, please. This is Caligula. So on the left here, you have Caligula. On the right, you have an image of Augustus. And then right there on the bottom side, the stars, which reminds us that Caesar became divine. That is the Son of God, connected himself. And so on all these ancient coins, you have this propaganda being emphasizing what the big idea is. 
Here's Augustus' big idea in your notes. Here's Augustus, the first true emperor that began the Roman Empire. His idea is, you give me your heart and soul, I will give you what you need and want, peace, prosperity, I will give you security, I will give that to you, but you have to give me your heart and soul. You have to give me your full and absolute devotion. That I, I, am, I am king and like I am God. Now, the book of Colossians, is, there, is it any wonder, is it, is it any strange, now, now that you get this, I want you to think about when, the, when Jesus was born. We're going to get here to this thing here in just a second. When Jesus was born, a star rose in the sky over Bethlehem. Shepherds, who were the couriers, when told everybody, the Son of God is born. Angels appeared on the side, and they said, pox, peace. Can you show me that next coin right there, please? That next coin I have right there? This is the next coin. On the right-hand side, there is Augustus. That is the goddess of peace. Pox means peace. And that sword at her feet, if you worship me, you worship me, everybody else will have peace. There'll be no battles. There'll be no wars. There'll be nothing. And in the right hand, she holds a caduceus. A caduceus was the staff of Hermes or Mercury, which means commerce. And he's saying, if you give me your heart and soul, you give me everything that you can, I'll give you security and I will give you peace. And it's into that setting Christ is born. No, peace is not in Rome, the angel says. Peace is in Bethlehem. So the book of Colossians, here's the big idea of the book of Colossians written in this time frame. That the birth of Jesus Christ is a subversion of the Roman Empire. Trying from within to turn and to sabotage this big idea of giving homage to the emperor and to the empire. Now, the book of Colossians, it's written by Christian to Christians, trying to help Christians rethink what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus in a very politicized, dogmatic culture and world where there's empirical forces at play telling you you got to believe this and you got to do that. And it's trying to help us really rethink what that means. How to be a disciple of Jesus. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus in this kind of world. In our own Rome today. Now the book of Colossians. What do we know about the book of Colossians? We know that it's written by Paul because in the very first chapter, verse 1, First word is Paul, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Uh, he says, to the holy people in Colossae. So we know it's written by Paul. This is the eighth of 13 letters that Paul writes. We know it's to Colossae. We know where Colossae is. We're going to put this on the screen, a little map here of where Colossae is. It used to be Asia Minor. Today we call it Turkey. You see Colossae right there in the center, uh, just about 110, 120 miles east of Ephesus. It was a small little town in a valley. Not really a big town, pretty small, but it was a very important town. 
And then in the very next slide, we see that Colossae has not yet been excavated. Underneath that mound right there is belief. You would go to Turkey today, you'd see this mound, that Colossae exists in ruins underneath that mound. It has not yet been excavated. So what else do we know about Colossae? What else do we just know in general before we do our verse-by-verse study starting next week? Well, we know that Paul has not been there yet when he writes this letter. In chapter 2 of verse 1, he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea. That's a small town close by. And for all who have not met me personally. In other words, you've not met me. I've not met you. But I've heard about you. And I've heard what's going on. So I'm going to send you a letter to try to encourage you a little bit. Who's the, so who's the pastor of this church in Colossae? Who's the pastor? The scriptures tell us. When you learn how to read this and rethink, you can see evidence of who the pastor is. So go over to chapter 1, look there at verse 7. Chapter 1, 7. It says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. He told us about you, about your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras is the name of the local pastor of that church. Go over to chapter 4. Paul reminds us of this in verse 12 of chapter 4. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus. He's one of you. He's a Colossian. He's just like you. He's from your city. He sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. For the past six weeks, I've been doing a lot of wrestling in prayer for you, for us, that we might stand firm in the will of God for Pathway Church, that we might stand firm in the mission and the calling that God has before us for the grander vision, for the bigger picture that God has for us, and also that we might mature I'll just tell you straight up, there's some of you, I thought of your faces, you came to mind visually, and I prayed for you, that you might no longer be a baby in Christ, that you would no longer be mature as a man in being a husband, as being a dad, that some of us men will grow up to be the, the men, mature that our families need us to be and believe us to be in Christ. For some of you ladies, that you would rethink what it means to be a wife or to be a mom or to be a single woman in this world, in the marketplace. And to be a mature person in Christ. And that your life reveals that you're a Christian and how you talk, how you lead how you manage yourself in uncomfortable situations, that you might be fully assured, that you might be confident of your identity in Jesus Christ, that you would know who you are as a child of God. For six weeks, Paul is praying the same for the Colossians. Epaphras is praying Paul is in jail. We know this from the last verse. He says, I remember, remember my greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. And he's in prison in Rome. And so he has a better understanding of Rome and what's going on than anyone. 
and we know there's false teaching and heresy in the church, go over to, uh, where do I want to go? Uh, I'm trying to see. We're going to go verse by verse next week. This week, I'm just bouncing around. Go over to uh, verse 8 of chapter 2, false teaching, heresy. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that is false teaching that depends on human tradition, the elemental spiritual forces, emphasis on elemental, very basic, low-lying spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility, those two words together are a very interesting phrase. I wish I had time and very practical application to teach it to some of you. Because some of you practice false humility. Some of you are sucked in by people who have false humility. And all of a sudden you wake up, you get married to someone who has false humility. And oh, do you have a great awakening coming when you find out it's false humility. Uh, we don't have time to do that right now. Hopefully we'll do this maybe part when we walk through this verse by verse. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, but they're puffed up with idle notions, with idle big ideas by their unspiritual mind. So during this summer, we're going to try to have a deeper understanding of some of the false teaching in Colossians just like some of the false teaching that some of you buy into in the world, and Paul's response to it. But I want to give you a high 30,000 view, my opinion, on kind of what this false teaching kind of sounds like and looks like. And I think it kind of goes like this from the teacher. Hey, listen, you can talk about this Jesus guy all you want to. If you want to go worship this Christ guy, go ahead, but I'm not going to, and here's why. He is not the highest authority in my life. He's really not. He is not the first thought that comes into my mind when I awaken in the morning. And I don't give him my highest devotion. Here's what I do. I'm going to go to the temple. And I'm going to worship the true son of God who lives in Rome. Jesus, he may have been a good teacher. In fact, some of his teachings are pretty good. He may have arisen, he may be a star, a king, somewhere out there in the universe. But he is not the ultimate authority and power in my life. He is not. He is not the ultimate reality that I have known in Augustus or Tiberius or Caligula or Nero. He is not. And so you can go think about this Jesus all you want. I just ask you to do one thing. Here's the teaching. One thing. Please lower Jesus below, below the reign of Tiberius. Just put him underneath where he belongs. And so it's into this culture that Paul writes this book of Colossians, and it's radically subversive. He's challenging the big idea of the empire. And he's trying to turn the Colossians back to the main thing. Now, he knows he's got to be careful because the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, if you want the peace of Rome, you have to give me your undiluted devotion because if you don't, I'm taking you out. You're being arrested. So we know he's got to be careful with his language. So he didn't tell them, hey, listen, stop worshiping Tiberius and worship Christ. He didn't say that. He used some very subtle language because he knew if he did, they'd be persecuted. They'd be killed. That whole town would be wiped out by the Roman army. So look how, how he talks a little bit. Go over here, uh, Colossians chapter 1, 
go down to verse 6. Verse 6. Y'all doing okay out there? In the sanctuary, y'all doing okay? I want to hear a shout from the sanctuary. Y'all doing okay? I heard them. Yeah, they're doing great. True words, y'all doing all right? Okay, just checking with you. I know we're going kind of heavy and deep this morning. Colossians 1, verse 6. First sentence in the beginning, in the middle, beginning with N. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit. Now, stop right there. Someone tell me, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news about what? Good news about what? Someone tell me, say it, about Jesus. But do you know the word gospel did not originate with the Christians? The word gospel was an official word of the Roman Empire. When they would send out a courier to go out onto the battlefield to give a decree of we won the battle, some sort of definition of what we had done. That's what the word gospel meant. And so Paul borrows, imitates the language of the emperor, and he says, the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. How is Rome going to bring peace to the whole world? If you give your total devotion to us, then the whole world will have peace. But he is saying, no, 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 very subtly, no. When the gospel of Jesus, when people know who Jesus is, it's going to bear fruit to the whole world. And he's so subtle and says it. But the Christians, they get what it is. And he has to be subtle. Because the Roman Empire has brainwashed him with all this propaganda. And it's everywhere. It's on the coins. It's on, it's, on the, it's on the walls of the temples where you go worship the emperor. It's on the roads. It's on the walls. It's everywhere. It's in their literature. It's just like here in America. You and I are brainwashed every day by the corporate logos that are out there in the world. You are sucked into believing where you're going to find peace and where you're going to find wholeness. It goes kind of like this. Put the first logo up on the screen. What's this first logo? Somebody tell me. What is that? And there are some of you right now that are getting tingly all over. Because you're a nerd. <laughs> and there's just some Apple. Oh, they got a new product out? Oh, there's something new? Oh, there's something brand new? Oh, my God. Oh, you get all excited. I got to check my phone. There's something I didn't know. Because, man, you're just so bought in that that's what kind of does it for you. All the Apple. Here, here's another one. Show me this next one. What is this? Yeah, I haven't heard us know the voice. <laughs> because when I got that cup of coffee in my hand from Starbucks, the world is okay. Everything is fine. And if I have it there in that ambiance, it's kind of cool and calm and free Wi-Fi and sitting back with the dark wood, the little soft little chair, the ambiance is, ah. <laughs> and they want you to see that logo, and all of a sudden you go, yeah, they get sucked you in. And you start believing it. Next logo, propaganda. Ah, some of you adults are going. That looks like Casper the Ghost outline or something like that. But all the young adults know that's Snapchat, a social media site. And man, when they see that little ding by that little thing, dopamine goes right to the brain. They're going, oh, life is so good. <laughs> that's dead. And all of a sudden, they're so excited. All is right with the world because I'm connected to someone about something that's very important, very private. Very, I mean, man, it just works, and you get sucked into it. Here's one more. One more. What's this one right here? Under Armour. And what is armor? Some of you who are under armor, you know what I'm talking about. You go, hey, I'm not Nike. Everybody does Nike. It's under armor. 
and Under Armour. It's a little more expensive, and it's a little cool. It's a little nicer, and you've got the Under Armour. You've got, you got a little different sort of thing. They suck you in. You kind of think, yeah, because that kind of sets you apart. And, and it's everywhere, the propaganda that sucks you. And the Roman Empire is doing the same thing all over the place. And they buy into it. And the whole culture is shifting in the church to give their devotion to the emperor who sits on the throne. And you and I do it all the time. This is what's going on. This is the setting that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's very subversive. I'm going to show you some pictures on the screen to help you see this in a different way, because I know we all learn in different ways. So I want to give you some slides to see. This is a better picture of what's happening. Will you put the first slide up there, please? The great Roman warrior. That's correct. Thank you. This is the great Roman warrior in their, in their day, that everybody's going to be headed in different directions. There's going to be tribal warfare. We're going to be fighting each other, turned toward each other. And we got the Germans up there in the north and the Persians. And, and man, everybody's, going, oh, everybody's afraid of the Germans and the Persians. And, man, we're going, to, we're going to be destroyed from within and without. So we got to do something. All this chaos in our world, all this chaos in our nation, all this chaos in our families. So what are we going to do? Here's the great Greek Greco solution. Here it is right here. Here's a solution. If all of us, if everybody would just turn their devotion to Rome, if all of us would bow to that throne, if everybody would align up with that, we'll be strong. But we're only going to be strong if we're all exactly on the same page. No dissenters. If you dissent, you're done because we're weak. You all got to do it. And then if we're strong, this will happen. If we're strong, next slide, please. If we're strong, then I promise you, Augustus, Tiberius and Caligula, we will organize our military might and all of our economic engines, and we will be the mightiest nation on the world, and we'll fight off the Germans from the north, we'll fight off the Persians from the east, and we'll have peace on the inside because we will be in charge. And you just got to believe that, and it's true. There's only one thing you got to do to make this happen, and they put it on the back of a coin that's so subtle that big coin I showed you earlier, we're going to put it on the screen here. Here's what it is. Here's what you got to do. And it's on the back of the coin of the divine Caesar, divine Augustus. There's Augustus on the right sitting on the throne as the emperor. And the people are coming, worshiping, bowing before the emperor. And if you do that, Colossians is saying, no, no, you got to choose. You got to choose. You got to get serious. You got to choose. If you want peace in your life, if you want security in your family, you got to choose. Are you going to look for it in Rome, in the emperor? Or are you going to look for it in Christ? You got to make a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. Just a little more scripture here. Hear this. I'm in Colossians again. 
Look over in chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to what Paul says. The Son, Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Here it comes. Whether what? What's it say? Thrones or what? Or powers or what? Or rulers or what? Or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Only Christ can be on the throne. Tiberius? Look in verse 9 of chapter 2. For in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Here it comes. He is the head over every power and authority. Christ. That's the only way you're going to have peace and wholeness. Safety and security in your life. Here's the screen. I want to show you this slide. This is really what it's saying. The great Christian solution is that when Christ is held up to the center and we all turn in the world, turn our devotion to him, you can have the Pax Christi, the peace of Christ. Not the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, but the peace of Christ. But you got to choose the Via della Roma or the Via Dead of Christ, the way of Rome or the way of Christ, the way of America or the way of Christ, the way of Wall Street or the way of Christ. You've got to choose. The book of Colossians, it's a very subversive book. And it's challenging you and me to think in very abstract, subversive ways, like this, to look into our culture in which you and I live and to be careful about getting sucked in, like this. Hey, you want to have peace? You want peace? Just go buy a Lincoln like Matthew McConaughey. You're going to have peace. You might even look like him. You might even be married to him. You want to have peace? Trust progressive. You want to sleep good at night? Let Charles Schwab just take care of everything for you, and you'll sleep like a baby. You want to have peace? You want to have financial security? Vote a straight Republican ticket. Vote a straight Democratic ticket. We will give you what you want and what you need. And Colossians says, no. The only place you are going to find what you really need and want and long for in your life if Christ is on the throne. And people who give their heart and soul to anything other than Christ... 
You give your heart and soul to being all in Republican. You give your heart and soul to be all in Democrat. You give your heart and soul to be a capitalist or to be a socialist or to make America great again or be a globalization. Whatever it may be, the highest passion in your life of what it means to be white or what it means to be black or what it means to be brown or you name the issue, whatever your cause is, if that is where your heart and soul is invested, that's on the throne. And if that's on the throne, you'll never know peace. Christ and Christ alone will give you what you want. So here's the application question. It's the only question. Here it is. Who is sitting, occupying the throne of your heart? Really? 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 Church, we have the opportunity to gather around this table and we do this to remind ourselves who really is at the throne of our heart. We come here on the weekend to worship, and we worship in a lot of ways. But one of the most important ways that we worship is we come to hear the story about how we came to be. We come to tell the story of how we came to be as a people of faith. So on the night that Jesus was handed over, and he was gathered around the table with his disciples. And they were hearing their own story. They were telling the story of how they came to be, about how the Israelites got out of Egypt. And as they're telling the story, Jesus changes it a little bit. And he took the bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And after they'd finished supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It is sealed in my blood for your forgiveness. He said, as often as you can, you come to this table and you tell the story about what happened here. You tell the story about how we came to be, about how your faith community was born. You tell the story not because you haven't heard it before. You tell the story so that you don't forget. You tell the story so that as little ones grow up, they hear it and they understand and that we all know what this represents. And Jesus commanded the disciples to go out into the world and to preach the good news and to keep telling the story. And so, we obey. This is not our table. This is not the church's table. This is not Pathway's table. This is the Lord's table. So we don't invite you, the Lord does. And the Lord invites everybody. Everybody gets an invite to this table. Everybody. You don't need, you don't need to be a member. If you're unsure about your faith, come to the table and experience the mercy of God. All means all at this table. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for 
your powerful mercy that we experience in such a unique way at this table. We thank you for the community of faith that you brought into existence at this table. Father, we, we thank you that just as the disciples got to gather around this table, you invite us to gather around the same table to have the same fellowship with Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you bless these elements and that you allow them to transform us so that we have a new understanding, a more powerful understanding of who you are, of what your mercy is like. So much so that when we leave this table, when people experience us, they know that we have been in your presence because of how we love them. Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for your son, and we thank you for his sacrifice. In his name we pray, amen.
this last slide one more time and here's what happens Christ at the center when Christ is at the center and we all centered on Christ and his love becomes so powerful in your life you see those Germans and those Persians I don't mean literally I mean symbolically the Germans and Persians in your life that you feel like we're attacking you from the right and the left leave it on the screen one more time please you learn to love them the way Christ loved you. You can change them. But it begins with Christ being on the throne of your life. So I want to ask every eye closed, online, true worth, sanctuary, art, just for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, look at the throne of your heart and ask yourself, what is the, my greatest passion? What is the highest passion? Because that's what's on your throne. Whatever is your highest passion, and it's so subtle, and sometimes it's good things. Some of you have a spouse on the throne, your wife or your husband or your children. You have them on the throne. They're your greatest passion. Some of you, it's your job. Some, it's being Republican or being Democrat. Hey, there's nothing wrong with either one of those. But when those are on the throne above Christ, for some of you, it's athletics. It's a sports team. You live and you die. You live and you die. It's your kids' athletics. I could go on and on. I ask you to get honest. What is on the throne of your heart, really? I want you to picture just asking them to step aside. Just see them in your mind moving aside and Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart again. That's the only way you're going to receive what you really want. And maybe some of you for the very first time, just right where you're standing, you're going to say, hey, uh, 
I'm needing a little peace in my life. I'm needing a little security. And now I know the only place really is in Jesus. And you can just say that, Jesus, would you please take the throne? Help me figure out even what that means. I don't know what that means, but help me to know what it means to say you're the highest authority. Your love is the greatest authority in my life. And if that's you, uh, please stop one of us. Stop the next step series. Stop and tell me, and we'll help you take the next step. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please turn your eyes to the screen, everyone in all locations, and together let us state our purpose. The purpose of Pathway Church is to glorify God and share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And how shall we fulfill this purpose, church? By ministering to spiritual, emotional, and physical needs, by providing Christian relationships in the family of God, and by providing the challenge for individual and collective spiritual growth this summer. We're going to grow. See you next weekend.